Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, presented by Coors Light. Go from full-time to game-time Coors Light made to chill. Make sure you find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, and please rate and review the show. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I'm joined by my co-host, Blake Murphy, Alex Wong. The Raptors won last night, improved to 4-4 four and four on the season, but the vibes feel better than that. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about, obviously, the win, Pascal bouncing back, um, the bench as a whole bouncing back. The Raptors are on a mission to save Malachi Flynn's life and his career, and it, it looks good. That's Malachi Flynn leading the league in bench hugs per 36. Yeah. He's like hugging Darko live during play. Mm-hmm. It's great. It's, we, need uh, a, we need an acronym for that too, man. Yeah. We need one. All right. Well, you know, uh, after yesterday's Slob Wizard and Succession segment, uh, we did follow up today with actual basketball content prepared <laughs> for you guys Uh Blake, how you doing, man? You all right? Good, yeah. I'm great. I love your uh, purple fuzzy sweater. Um, people see more of that at some point. I love... looks like Asian Barney, man. <laughs> uh, uh, sing a song for us, brother. <laughs> no. I, I, look like, uh, I look like Grimace. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> um, Anyways. Yeah. Raptors won a really, really, really good game yesterday. Uh, I teetered back and forth a little bit between, you know, is this a, a really good win for the Raptors? Is it actually just proof the Mavericks have been frauds so far and, and mm. fattening up on a lighter schedule? Um, you know, my general distrust of the way the Mavs have built uh, maybe pushed me toward that direction, but we saw it. This is a really good Mavs team, at least offensively, um, defensively, They didn't really have a a lot of answers for what the Raptors were doing without Derek Lively, the second as their center, he was out with an illness. So that's a seven foot one rim protector you don't have, but even with him, they were pretty average defense so far. So I think what we saw on the Dallas side is, you know, what a team that the Raptors are going to be able to take advantage of, which is, I don't know that the Raptors are going to score well against good defenses, but a defense with holes like this, a defense where you can hunt mismatches, the Raptors look more comfortable than they look in any other game this season. And I think it's really the first time they've had both the transition and the half court offense going at the same time. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to put my foot down and say like, I, I think this was a very impressive win in terms of, you know, how it colors the way I view where this team is going. You know, I think, I think there was some concern early in the season with their slow start, you know, working out their half court offense. And I know that isn't, you know, a lead at the moment or whatever, but it's like, you know, Scotty's done enough now over these first, uh, you know, this first couple of weeks of the season that I think we, we can comfortably kind of raise the bar for what we expect from him. Um, you know, I think, you know, we're going to talk about OG, like OG has been super impressive um, and, and shown some of the improvements that I think here and there on the offensive end that we expect from him. And then clearly with Pascal having his breakout game yesterday, I think we're watching a team that's getting familiar with each other, that's growing under the new coach. Um, and I'm actually super excited. This is one of the most exciting wins that I've had for about the Raptors, like in a long time. Damn, you must have had a great time watching this. <laughs> I told you not to say uh, No, I mean, I think, yeah, to your, to your point, right? Like, um, you see the vision in a game like this where mm-hmm. Pascal plays really well, OG plays really well, and Scotty plays really well. And I know that... I think our bar for Scotty now is after seeing that Spurs game, it's like, okay, where was the 30 points from that game? But he did everything else well. What's the portfolio update from last night? Another six, six stocks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Stocks yeah. Are Watch up. out, Marcus Camby. Yeah. Honestly, at this rate, <laughs> he is really getting up there. There was a stretch there in the second quarter where, for some reason, oh. both the Raptors and the Mavericks decided to play, like, as fast as possible for, like, five straight <laughs> minutes. And it was just, like, a nonstop kind of suicides, like, drill back and down the court. Mm. Uh, but in that stretch, um, Scotty blocked 
Kyrie going to the basket as a help defender, mm-hmm. rotated it off, and then uh, it caught it. It was really, really impressive because he had to jump like pretty much to block it above the square mm. uh, to get the swat. And then he had three steals in a two-minute span. Yeah, including that kind of like steel block on Tim Hardaway yes. Jr. in the corner where he at, saved it. at first I thought yeah. it was a block and then you watch it back and Tim Hardaway actually did the, oh no, here comes Scotty, I got a pass mm-hmm. and pass it like kind of right into his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, th- I think his energy was just kind of through the roof last night. Like some huge offensive rebounds too. So like when you see the vision of these three guys playing well together, you're like, okay, wow, like more of a good thing is actually a good thing. Yeah, and this is, look, we've tried to talk about it as much as we can when there are days that's, that Pascal Siakam can't find his spot in the offense and Scotty Barnes is cooking. I understand that people look at those things and they look at the timelines and they look at the fact that Scotty Barnes is going to be here forever and Pascal Siakam is in the last year of his contract and there is some friction there. There's friction there narratively. There's friction there roster build-wise and there's some friction there in terms of figuring it out offensively. But I think what we've seen the last two games is that is what we thought, which is on paper, yeah, the spacing is not going to be great, especially if you have those two and Jakob Pertl out there, but there are ways around it. And most teams in basketball would love to have a pair of 6'9 guys who can attack a mismatch and create for teammates. They would love to have two of them on the floor because like we saw yesterday, well, you can only put two bodies on one of them Mm -hmm. and you can only put your best defender on one of them. And if your next best defender happens to be giving up four inches to Pascal, He's going to eat. So, um, you know, Grant Williams is a very good defender. Had nothing for Pascal inside yesterday. Um, And I know Scotty didn't have the best of games and Pascal didn't have the best of games against San Antonio. But you look back at that Spurs game, Pascal's one of six in the low paint area where we normally expect him to go four or five for six. Mm. That has nothing to do with Scotty. That's Pascal still getting to his spots. Yesterday, Scotty, yes, only had 14 points, but he still managed to get 15 shots. His threes just didn't happen to drop in this one. That very easily could have been a 17 or 20 point game. Uh, and Will, the, the thing I was most interested to hear your take on today is, so this is Scotty's lowest points output of the season. I thought that he looked as much like a star yesterday as he has in any game other than maybe the stretch run of the San Antonio game. All over the boards with 14, seven assists, the six stocks you mentioned, really making a huge... And like, once he realized his jumper wasn't there, he had like laser focus to find Pascal and OG, whether in transition or the half court. I I came away, I, I know some people look at the 14 points and Pascal taking 25 shots and draw a line between those. I thought Scotty looked really good yesterday, even without the scoring load. Yeah, I mean, um, to the bigger picture of this conversation, it's like I'm really tired of player fandom. Mm -hmm. It's a team. They won the game yesterday. They played really well as a team. And in terms of who contributes specifically towards that team win in what specific way, in what specific context, that doesn't matter to me. It's about the team. They played together the whole time. And obviously there are some games where, you know, guys are slow and they need to get, the you know, Ace picked up for them, and other guys got to sort of bring them up. And I thought Scotty did that for the whole team against San Antonio. And this one, obviously, Pascal had it going against Dallas, really identified the mismatches and really went to work. Um, that's just that's just how this game is going to go. Like, these guys aren't going to beat. Like, we don't need them to have 30 points together each night to validate their fit. I also think that, like, it's exhausting watching, like, the whole season, especially in game eight. Especially, like, we don't have the trade deadline until mid-February. And who knows what the team's going to be at that point. Um, to watch every game like there's a trade deadline in tomorrow. Like, w- we're not GMs. Let's just enjoy the fact that they're I playing great be. basketball. I was trying to trade Pascal on Monday. No, that's <laughs> what I mean. Like, every game, it's like, oh, man, do they fit together? Do they fit together? Do they fit? Like, we can't even just, like, 
and whatever, maybe that's our fault because we got to do a two-hour show. We got to like literally like hit on every single niche item. But, but I mean, I our honestly, point has been they do fit together, and if they don't fit together, that's something you can work on because there's not yeah, yeah. like. With any of these things, you got to be able to give me an explanation why yeah. something does or doesn't work. And I still haven't heard a good explanation for why it can't work other than, oh, the spacing, which is a concern no matter who's on the court for this team. Yeah. And, and look, like, there are actual basketball reasons to, to like, you know, talk about it. And we will get into those reasons all the time because that's what we do on this show. We hyperfixate. But, like, as a fan, just, like, step back and enjoy watching the game. Like, damn, it was a really great game last night. And, like, it just instantly devolves into, well, now it was Pascal's turn, but it should be Scotty's turn. And now it's, you know, the other way around. It's, like, it's so exhausting, man. No, like, the fact that they're on the same team, exactly, creates all those opportunities where you can get guys constant mismatches going. And I appreciate the unselfishness of Scotty's game to be like, okay, tonight is a game where Pascal really has it going. I don't need to score as much. Let me try to find him as much as possible. I appreciate Pascal also setting up Scotty for a bucket. I appreciate Pascal and Jakob having a really, really – tight uh, interior passing game because there is no mm. space whatsoever. All thanks to you suggesting it. They've got to play tiki-taka uh, soccer in there. Like It's really like this team's got to be managed by There them. were two ridiculous post sequences for the Raptors yesterday. Uh-huh. And the one, I think you tweeted a clip of it, right, where the spacing's really bad and Pascal <laughs> kind of does like a just hand it to Jakob in yeah. the paint. And then there was the other one where, I forget the exact order, but I think Pascal posts up, Scotty cuts in to get, like the double comes, Scotty cuts in, mm-hmm. he hits him with the pass, and then Scotty is in post-up position. He gets an extra body, so Pascal like goes behind him and cuts. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, like rotating like a carousel of yeah. post-ups where they just kept finding each other until eventually they had inched to the basket. Yeah, and I, I loved it because I think in this game, like I saw the Raptors working together so much the whole game, and that's beautiful to me. That's what Darko was brought in to do. He keeps saying this all the time. It's like a, it's ad, you know, ad nauseum at this point, but it's like, you know, we're going to stick together. We're going to play together. They literally mm. put together on the on the board. They might also have the whole team tattoo the word together or something just to remind them. Malachi something. might do it if this keeps going. Yo, like, and, and that's what I see from each other, right? Like, Malachi's been struggling. Now he starts to play well with some confidence. They're all hugging him. They're all, like, cheering him on and embracing him, singing his praises in, in the postgame. Like, you know, he, OG, the way he, like, played within the team offense. Scotty directing the team mm-hmm. offense. Dennis coming in with some clutch scoring in the fourth quarter just to give them some levity. You know, okay, fine. Um, in, in this game, the spacing was too bad. So, you know, they take Jakob off the floor, who was also getting hunted by Luca. So now they go to Otto, and now they celebrate Otto as well. Like, that's what we, that's just, this is all the things we missed last year. No, for sure. And now we can't see the, we can't appreciate this because every day we got to be like GMs. Like, every day Why we got to be so GMs. Mad today, it, it's, it's also like, <sighs> When we talked in the preseason and we talked after that season opening win about how important it was to get wins early, to keep that buy-in going Mm -hmm. and to keep those good vibes rolling, when they had dropped a couple in a row, you started to see not the energy go away. They were still trying, obviously, and doing those things, but it is a lot easier to maintain that when you're winning enough games. And that was really, you know, that's, that's kind of the story of the championship Raptors with Kawhi versus everything we heard coming out of Clippers leaks the year after was, yeah, the Raptors were winning enough games to keep that all quiet. Nobody was really like, it it was the same stuff, the same concessions. And it's the same as like, well, what was really all that different personnel and coach wise from 2020, 2020 or 2021, 2022 to last year. It was like, well, most of the stuff was the same. Mm -hmm. And then they lost a couple extra games. And so there weren't those team victories. There weren't like you were saying, Will the, okay, like, let's put aside who has what role. We won. We pulled mm-hmm. it out together, and next time maybe it's your turn, but as long as we keep winning, there's going to be enough for everyone. Um, so it's it's pretty big to get wins like this in the San Antonio one early. Yeah, and I think 
some of these little things we point out, like, you know, like Garrett Temple giving Malachi that hug, like guys cheering each other on. Like, I'm not forgetting, too, like Masai coming to the podium on media day and talking, like, about how they got to get rid of the selfishness this year, turning the page and stuff. And, like, early on, all I'm paying attention to, like, aside from, like, the wins and, and lessons is, like, <laughs> like, what, like, how is this team actually growing coming together? Like, this was the huge thing that was missing for me last season was that this team was not growing. Like, this team was not developing into anything by midseason, by the end of the season. And already eight games in, I'm feeling very optimistic about, like, where this is all going. So Yeah. No, for sure. And um, in terms of the basketball aspect, as I, as I get off my soapbox here. Yeah, I, I didn't know uh, we had a soapbox no, I mean, segment today. It's just today. so annoying, man. Like, you watch the po- – <laughs> like, even things like – I know, like, whatever. Maybe I just – I live too you much know what? in comments. Get, it, get it off your chest, man. But, like, you open the Raptors YouTube page, right? And it's yeah. a post-game press conference. And I thought they all the guys who went up there, Chris, uh, Pascal, and, and Coach, Darko, they all gave really, really great quotes. They were really open with things. And they're all very thought-provoking. You know, like, you know, Darko, for example, said, like, I, I saw an article – about Tom Brady and how when he was a third-string quarterback, he complained to uh, his coach at the time. And he's like, why can't I only, you know, why can't I get any reps? And he's like, those two reps you get, why don't you make the most of those? And he actually sent that article to Malachi. He's like, stop oh, worrying about the time that you get on the court. Stop worrying about your mistakes. Worry about making the most of your time yeah. in life. Yeah, that's, co- like, that's coaching right there, that's man. That's deep. That's deep to me, yeah, right? That's well, life coaching. Looking, looking at Pascal coming to the podium, and you could tell he was coming from this vulnerable place. Where I was like, mm-hmm. look, I know I haven't been playing well, but I know my confidence as a player. And you could tell he was a little bit shaken, but the same thing, he was also really happy to relieve to be on there. Chris was talking about, well, I've been benched up and down, and I, I'm, I'm open with the fact that I've been frustrated with this sometimes, but I'm trying to get better at it. He credited Thad with helping him. Those are all, honestly, as far as post-game press conferences go, that was awesome. The comments in there, Oh, how come Pascal only comes to the podium now when he wins? Why, where is he when he doesn't win? He is, like, he's a coward. Like, what are we but doing? Do how do you think the media pro? Do you think the players just come after the game and they're like, I'm doing the podium today? I'm the media guy. Actually, there, I don't think a player has ever volunteered yeah, to do Nobody media would games. show up. Actually, that's not true. I think the time you that guys... Fred got kicked out by Ben Taylor, he that is the only time someone's volunteered. Okay. Yeah, right. We had yeah. some Ben Taylor action last night, we too, did. We did. which was. Uh, which was a mess. Okay, so you mentioned the Pascal <laughs> thing and, and all of and yeah. Darko's story to Malachi. I actually think this is a huge component of how Pascal can be a leader for guys like that because Pascal said it after the game. There's a great quote that um, I think it was a podium quote, but it's in Michael Grange's story from last night up at sportsnet.ca where he's talking about like all like Pascal has failed in a lot of different ways on his way to becoming an all NBA guy. And like, Mm. Hey, I'm starting when I shouldn't be to start the year and I'm overmatched and it's bad. Then I got to go down to the G league and then I got to come up and I got to be a bench guy and I got to take a, you know, tertiary seat to Kyle and and Kawhi and stuff like that. And then, you know, fail, failure in the bubble. Um, the, the start of this year and Pascal says the part of the quote is I always trust who I am as a player. My instincts are good and I always play the game the right way. And then he goes on to talk a little bit more, uses the term resilient and whether he's like grabbing someone like Malachi and being like, well, listen, kid, uh, like I'm an old head now and this is what I went through. Or it's just having that guy around and those examples around and seeing, you know, what work he still puts in when these new challenges crop up. Um, Yeah. I think, I think that's a really good point. Darko makes the Malachi and, and, it's a point that needs to be made more and more the deeper your team is. Now, we haven't seen the Raptors bench play sure, sure. tremendously well. Yeah, it, yeah. Last night was by far the best they've looked as a, as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are going to be guys like McDaniels is out of the rotation right now. 
It could be Boucher the next game. It could be, I mean, Otto is more, um, you know, health-based. Yeah. But, like, Precious will come back at some point, and then someone else's minutes are gone. And being able to communicate that and have guys ready for those moments is is really big. And, and it's the same kind of logic of, you know, again, Scotty took 15 shots last night. He wasn't frozen out of the offense. He had the ball a ton. Yeah. But if there was a night where it wasn't working for him or his touches were a little less, it's the same kind of mentality of, you know, like you said, making the most of, of what you are dealt game to game, minute to minute. Yeah, and also the Raptors scored 127 points. I don't really care who got which touches. Like, the, the offense worked. The, again, yeah. it's a team game. I can't stress this enough. Um, speaking to the specifics, uh, OG I thought was awesome. Um, I think one of the struggles with OG's game in, in the last couple of years is he's been trying to expand his role. And that's another thing that Darko talked about. He said, OG came up to me in Atlanta and he was like, coach, I'm ready to take the next step and I'm ready to put into work to do that. Again, great thing. But all of a sudden, it's all about Pascal postgame somehow. Uh, even after he plays well and has 31. You guys woke up too early this morning. I, I did, actually. <laughs> we, we both had a commercial shoot. <laughs> Regardless, um, OG, one of the things that he sort of hit up against in the ceiling is like, you know, how much can you expand your game without being able to handle, without being able to slash and being effective off of those? He's done great things in terms of catching and shooting, transition, cutting, all that stuff. He's good, but he needs to sort of, like, get past this point or add that part to his game. In the last couple of years, you know, like, uh, 2021 on drives per, where he shoots the ball, he was shooting 35% on drives, <laughs> which doesn't make sense for a guy that strong. 2022, last season, he was at 41%. This year so far, obviously very, very small sample, 57%. And I got to wonder how many of those were from yesterday because I thought there were at least like nine or ten great decisions that OG made last night where he put it on the deck and he went hard to the basket and either made the right pass, like a little dump off to Jakob, which wasn't even an assist because Jakob flubbed the layup, but he got two offensive rebounds to put it back in eventually. Or another one in the fourth quarter where OG put it on the deck, got into the middle of the floor, and then instantly sprayed it out to Malachi, which is a very Pascal-esque move where he touched the paint and instantly kicked it out, avoided the charge, avoided sort of the overpenetration, uh, sometimes that OG does, and, um, you know, was able to set up for assists. There's another play where he drove in, I think, to start the third quarter. Drove in, beat Luke off the dribble, and then went up for an up fake, and literally three Mavs defenders all jumped at once, maybe just bad defense overall by Dallas, but OG with the up fake and then lifting the three defenders and then laying it in. Like, that's a fake that Luka would have done. You know what I mean? And so I just thought that for a guy who has traditionally struggled with driving the ball... I thought OG did such a better job of that last night. And if that can continue throughout the course of the season, like, that would be so, so great. Because the Raptors right now have three guys right now in the offense in the starting group that can touch the paint, right? It's, it's obviously Dennis, it's uh, Scotty, and it's Pascal. If you have now a fourth guy who can touch the paint on OG, um, A, it definitely, I think, helps the starting unit. It helps the transition lineups, too. Because I thought the Raptors' transition lineups last night were really, really good. Whether that was Scotty and OG with the bench, or Pascal with the bench, or Dennis and whoever with the bench. They all really worked well offensively, and, and some of that credit should go to the bench, but I thought OG made a pretty, pretty uh, noticeable leap yesterday in terms of his production. I was trying to look up those drive stats for you, yeah. and I think this is probably related to if anyone has been seeing the tweets and articles about the NBA's new data system and player tracking system. Not, okay. not There are gaps in it, and teams aren't getting the full data sets that they're supposed to be getting. Um, there are no tracking stats for yesterday's uh, Raptors game the rest of them from last night are up but there are no uh the raptors and mavs don't get tracking stats from yesterday apparently uh so i don't have the updated ones from you i would actually say if anything that means the numbers might be higher because yeah, yeah. last night's haven't hit right. it yet but yeah i was really impressed and i thought it all came within the flow of the offense you know it, a big part of it is he's shooting so well at this point yeah. that teams have to close out so aggressively against him and he's 
even though he's not the most natural one-on-one attacker, that quick head fake pump and go Mm -hmm. is really good. And then, yeah, like you said, he has not only a good knack for, you know, some of the same skills that make him really good defensively in terms of body anticipation and proprioception and just like, like having a sense of where everything is on the, on the court. Um, Even though he's a little awkward sometimes offensively, he does have a good sense of like, where's that gap coming or where's the cut coming from? Uh, I think it's good. I don't think he's going to score 26 points with only three threes, uh, every night, like I don't think he's gonna have six buckets around around the basket. But well, if it's... he gets guarded by Luca every game, he might. Yeah. Um, look, and like not only guarded by Luca, but like where they try to hide Luca and how mm. the ra- this is the thing with like a lot of Raptors lineups, especially when Jakob came out and Gary Trent was in. Yeah. So like la- that kind of pseudo starting lineup, there's not really a good spot to put Luca and a center. Yeah. Like it's and Dwight Powell's really good and, and was awesome as a screen setter yesterday. Just mm. like erased the Raptors from a lot of possessions for for Luka. But defensively, there's not a lot of places to go when the three biggest guys on the floor are all threats to drive. Yeah. And if OG can become that at least a consistent threat attacking closeouts, that, again, changes similar to how we saw with Wemby, where the spur, the paint against the Spurs opened up because OG was hitting so well from outside that the Spurs had to change the coverage a little bit. Um, I don't think teams are going to short close on OG and let him take the shot to prevent against the drive. So I think these drives are still going to be there for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, as, as long as he keeps making the right decisions, um, it's great. I think one thing that's been promising is just a couple of times this season, I've already been really impressed with OG's touch driving with the left. Mm-hmm. I, I've never yeah, really there was that great one yesterday where he comes, yeah. he comes up around the pin down and then immediately turns back into a rescreen. He gets Powell and kind of gets the edge on him and does that like drag step. Yeah. And even the fact that he's coming around these pin downs is pretty significant. Like the first play of the game, like literally the very, very first play of the game, the Raptors had the ball and they had OG in the corner and he like lifted up to the top and uh, got a screen, I think for maybe from Yak or somebody and immediately popped a three. Now, Luka was trailing on the play, and I think kind of the idea was, okay, obviously, we've got to make Luka work on defense as well, Mm -hmm. and obviously, OG did do that yesterday with how aggressive he was, but, I mean, the fact that he's expanding to the point where he's now coming around screens to catch the ball, to shoot from three with no hesitation, like, that's something we haven't seen from OG. In the past, when he was catching and shooting, it's in the corners. He's catching and shooting. His feet are set. Guys are driving and then getting it to him. Now, the offense is actually empowering him, especially in some of these uh, favorable matchups, to actually get his own shot. He's coming off a baseline out of bounds plays. You know, we, we go, we're, we're, he's the blob wizard. <laughs> you know, we, we got Josh Giddy as the slob wizard, yeah. but, you know, OG's been one of their top options on the baseline out of bounds plays. There was, there was a game, and I forget which game it was, but I remember that the next game you and I were talking about this kind of thing before the game, mm-hmm. like down yeah. by the court. And I point out that the night, the game prior, they had run the same blob play mm. or a variation of it four times in a row for OG. Yeah, and the yeah. first two right. were come off a couple of screens and come to the passer and then bang, mid-range catch and shoot. But because of OG's ability to read the play, because of the fact that OG's shooting so well, the next two used OG's kind of gravity. Normally we think of gravity as like some pulling someone out vertically above mm-hmm. the three-point line, but there's gravity all over, like how you hand, how you navigate an off-ball screen and stuff like that. It's why the, the Mavericks run when Luka has the ball on one side of the floor, Kyrie is running a ton of off-ball action on the other side, even if it's just one of those ones where like, hey, he's going to go and like hug Tim Hardaway Jr. and you just don't know which one of them is going to break free up top. Yeah. Um, that, that kind of thing, the more shooting threat you are, the more options open up for you. And they, they ran two other versions of that play later in that game. One where 
OG's cut was a or OG's curl was a decoy mm-hmm. and, and and for a pass somewhere else and another where OG peeled off of that and cut the paint yeah. instead of going around the curl. So you can do a lot of stuff. Sure. Like we've seen we've seen it in the playbook for Gary Trent and last year, you know, one of the reasons to be encouraged about how the offense could look at times this year is Gary and Scotty had a really nice chemistry on those. If OG can develop that same kind of chemistry on those kind of I don't know, Terrence Ross, CJ Miles playbook plays, the the ones they run for Gary Trent a lot of time. It opens up a lot. Yeah, guys, I know I haven't chimed in much here, but since you guys are talking about OG, I think it's a good time for me. You know, I actually brought some gifts for you guys Whoa. today. Oh, word. Is it that jacket? I'd love that jacket. Oh, whoa. Oh, man. If you could pass this on, I believe there's a Grady Dick. Yeah, that's, that's one. That's that's one a, right oh, there, yeah, maybe. this is the gold member. Um, oh wow! Here's the uh, so, OG Ananobi. So let's get your reviews on these new uh, City Edition jerseys. They actually look super cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm loyal. In right. uh, in hand, like in person. Yeah. So my biggest take on these is going to be that it continues the trend. And I'm not sure if this is just the color on our monitor or if it's coming up on TV. They're not as mustardy as it looks on my screen right now. Yeah. It's a pretty clear gold. But this continues a trend of. The Raptors jerseys never look as good when they leak online as they do in person. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I it, it, I don't think jerseys look good just like as an image, typically. <laughs> like you got to like just put it a on photo. a body at least, you know what I mean? But no, I, these actually do look really great, man. So for, yeah, for Alex has brought in the gold uh, OVO jerseys uh, and, and you did allow us to pick which players we were going to get. And yeah. um Sh- Shosa MLS, you know what I'm saying? Okay. To the f- good folks. But yeah. I was able go. to get the official, you know, Raptor show one, the Dennis Schroeder. Oh, we gotta hang this up every Dennis every time Ooh, Dennis is here. Even mm-hmm. with the umlaut. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Huh. The umlaut Very is nice. on another level. So yeah. Schroeder. We're not hanging that well, up. Also, that's, why, that's why, going how come Jakob doesn't go with the umlaut? Because he has an umlaut in his name. Oh really? His name, okay. I think in Austrian or like in German, Austrian pronunciation, whatever Yeah, and there's yeah. no E. It's an O with an umlaut. Yeah. And uh L T L. P O L T L. We need more Raptors to change. Name. But yeah, anyway, we, we had our picks. You want OG. Yeah. I don't think that surprised anyone. Originally, I mean, I, I originally I wanted, Freeman Liberty yeah. is where okay. I was going. He wanted he wanted, he JFL. wanted jersey off his back, is what you're telling <laughs> yeah. I wanted Ron Harper Jr. Uh-huh. But Will wouldn't do Marquise Noel to, to complete the th- <laughs> okay. the two ways. Guys, the what dis- are we doing, man? The disgusting brothers. Yeah. Uh <laughs> no, so then we revised our picks. You went with OG. Why'd you go with OG? I mean, I just He's been my guy for for a long time. I, I'm very fond of him as a player and, and as a dude. And I think, you know, even though he's a pending free agent, if of the three free agents, I think he's the guy that's likeliest to stick around long term. So, yeah. yeah. No, I that's like an investment. He's investing. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you don't, I don't want a jersey that's going to be at a date. Like, you got a, you hung a Kawhi Leonard jersey up behind us that was like, it was good for like 18 minutes after you got it. Still a great jersey. But I wanted, a, I wanted a little more run out of mine. That's yeah. all. Yeah, that's Why, fair. Why'd you go with Dick? Uh, so I went with this jersey um, mostly because, um, you know, Mike three-point game. I'm, I'm like, I'm not like Grady Dick, to be very clear. I'm mm. not like him at all. Uh, I have so many nicknames for you right now that I can't say on uh, it. But, like, I, I definitely am a three-point heavy <laughs> kind of, like, player. But I tell you, I like... <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, and then, so my original pick was Gary. Yeah. And, um, I suggested Boucher because you guys have a sure. friendship. Yeah, yeah. But uh, again, like, I think ultimately I realized that it, it's a it's a great opportunity because it's a great jersey. I mean, just the, the, just look at this thing. Yeah. It's gold. You called it the gold member jersey. Yeah. 
It's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, so. we don't need to explain that one, but you, you can see what the jersey <laughs> yeah. looks like and the yeah. name that's on it. Uh, by the way, they're wearing these uh, for the first time November 17th. That is next Friday. Monday. Oh, Friday. Yeah, it was okay. originally on this calendar as Monday, but they have oh, switched the okay. locker vision to the white jersey for Monday against the Wizards. I wonder if the league was like, hey, you can't debut your new jersey in anything other than an in-season tournament game. Oh, so next Friday okay. is the Raptors' first in-season tournament game. They'll They'll host the Celtics. Uh, so they'll be in those gold ones. Alex, why did you make the choice that you made? I forget who you... I, I, I got Dennis Schroeder. Oh, right. Um, just so Will couldn't have it. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's no, okay. I'm going to borrow no, it. Honestly, I'm going to for the Dennis interviews. We were talking about the cult, cult classic, like cult favorites and stuff. Yeah. And I do feel like early on, like Dennis is kind of endearing himself into that category. And then for the obvious like Raptor show connections too, like, you know, yeah. which is the jersey I most likely could get signed. Um, <laughs> oh, so. I thought you were going to say you're, you're a company man. Yeah, my last thing, note on the jersey before we go to this break. Um, nice little detail on the side, on the block here. You can actually see the We the North, but in the different languages. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also they have really that? appreciate Yeah, so you can see oh, it. I should check yeah, out so my merch more. I yeah. tweeted out a, a, high re, a higher nice, res man. photo of this that then you'll be able to see on here. Uh-huh. But yeah, the side panels have, uh, similar to the Raptors' old yeah. court where it had along the baseline, yes, I love We that. the North written in it. I don't know why they took that away. Um, it's not on the court anymore. I thought it was got to change the court. I thought it was year, a terrific right? look, even though it cost good money to to make a new court. Um, anyway, yeah, that's a really nice touch as well. I also and, and Alex, I'm sure this is something you appreciated. Even just the subtle thing of like the lines being jagged, like the original Raptor mm. jersey, just gives it a little. Yeah. Like I know that a lot of people want the purple jerseys. For, to nod to the history and the way they look. And next year's the 30th anniversary of the team. So maybe they're just holding those back. I don't know. But even something like that, that is a subtle nod to the history of the team, I think yeah. is cool. No, yeah. I, I think it actually looks really good um, in hand. And then I guess like Will said, they're just jerseys aren't just good photographs. Like you got to see, I yeah. feel like you got to see them in person. We need Casey Betterman instead of saying the We the North. I, I need a knee how. Just <laughs> it, it, it does have we the bay as in like north and chinese oh yeah. okay okay anyway we're gonna take a break <laughs> uh on the raptor show you've been listening to uh the sports radio network and also when we come back we are going to talk about the comeback kids all right pascal siakam malachi flynn chris boucher back in the spotlight fresh views on everything in the national football league it's the fan check down with matt marchese and donovan bennett subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm your host, Wayne Lou. I uh, continue to be joined by my co-host, Blake Murphy and Alex Wong. I am rocking the Grady Dick jersey now, uh, the gold one, the gold member jersey. Uh, but uh, we're not really going to talk much Grady because I don't think he had much of an impact last night. Uh, Alex, who are we going to talk about? Yeah, so, you know, you asked Dennis Schroeder earlier this week about the backstory of this chain that they've been handing out after the game. And, and I think most people saw yesterday it was OG who got the chain, uh, is there is there a controversy here? Did Pascal Siakam get snubbed? We, we're doing this again? We just did this in the first time. <laughs> he told time me to ever. do this. He didn't have a way to set up uh, the Siakam talk. I thought we'd, we'd poke at you. Yeah. OG, so many chains, they call him Chaining Fry. Wow. Oh, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> oh my God. Yo, hump day's over, boys. Yeah. <laughs> Channing Fry, an all-time Raptor killer. Yeah. All-time I mean, do, days. Do you think he makes, like, the top 10? Yeah. Really? I actually crunched the numbers on this There's, one time. I don't think for he makes an the article. Top 10. Oh, yeah, the Gerald Henderson article. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's, let's, let's hear this, man. 
Okay, you guys got to talk for a little bit. Right. I got to find the article and then the the numbers. Yeah. yeah. So, um, What's up, bro, Jersey I, looks. Good I don't on think you. there was a, any controversy really last night. I mean, like, I give the first side of Pascal, but it, I mean, like, listen, like Pascal got the chain after the Milwaukee game. I was, mm. I, I thought OG could have got that game chain or even Scotty in that one. Yeah. But I mean, regardless, I don't really mind OG getting celebrated on a night where he got you know the toughest defensive assignment to guard Luca the whole game and took it to Luca on the offensive end. That was awesome. But I, I mean, look, obviously yesterday the bounce back game from Pascal was real, and I think that. You know, it's obviously taking some time for Pascal to settle into this new offense. Um, you know, I think that even listening to him on the postgame interview, you know, now that he dared to show his face, according to the comments. Um, <laughs> Why are you so mad? No, it's just so stupid. As man. you it's say just, it, look at this man's dreams. outfit right now. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I, I guess I'm not the one to talk about this. <laughs> this guy's a no, gold like, Barney. It's, uh, it's something that he's clearly struggled with. I think he knows that he's been struggling. Obviously, he holds himself to really high standards. He works really hard, too. So it's like... When you struggle like that, and when you're the number one mm-hmm. guy on the team, at least that you were in previous years, and this year it doesn't seem so much like that, you know, there's going to be some, like, natural awkwardness or even tension that comes into it. But I thought yesterday was a great example of him both um, finding the right matchups to go up against, both finding the right spots, working on his own end to get to those spots, uh, and also his teammates looking for him in those uh, positions too. He had 29 points through three quarters and was consistently there. And, look, if teams are going to single cover Pascal Siakam in the post, with undersized defenders. With Grant Williams, who is, you know, basically the, a thumb. Like, it's just not going to be enough to, <laughs> to guard Pascal and stop him. And I thought that, you know, obviously the matchups won't always look like this. There are obviously going to be games where they have much better rim protection, and now Pascal's going to find a way to be more effective um, a little bit farther out from the basket or maybe even from the three-point line. But, like, ultimately, like, we're talking about a really effective player, and I think that ultimately when he gets back to the level, he hasn't forgotten how to play basketball. The player that we've seen for the last many years is still there and it's i think it's possible in the system too and i think the upside of this roster is that when pascal and gary to a, to a lesser extent when these guys find their level again offensively mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you, you pair that with og making this jump and scotty making a bigger jump then all of a sudden you have a really really good team so before we trade the, the whole team away let's at least see if they can all happen at the same time yeah and i think it's moving in that direction like pascal was 15 of 20 on two-point attempts yesterday like you can't really look at his shot diet and say well he shot too much or he forced it um the threes he was 05 but i think darko would tell you if you get an open three in this offense you have to take it that's pretty much the principles yeah Yeah, but but he wouldn't be out there by the three-point line anyway he's not going to do the marc gasol trail in transition and then like wave a defender closer to you (laughs) when you shoot at one hand like the free throws (laughs) he's just like "Ah." oh god um, the big ugly. Yeah, it was good. And, and um, look, Darko said before the game that he's trying to push Pascal uh, to get more aggressive and, and to, uh, he said he spent the last two days before yesterday talking to him about mm-hmm. being more aggressive and yes, always looking for your teammates and making the right play, but like, look for your shot, be aggressive for yeah. your shot as well. Um, and, and Will, I wonder how much you, or just, I guess this is one of the other things we'll talk about as the year goes on is this balance between Yes, they're trying to install a new-ish offense and more importantly than the offense itself, these new principles, right? These This new unselfish identity, a lot more .5 basketball, quick passes, a lot of DHOs, etc. They really didn't use a ton of that yesterday. This was yeah. their best half-court offensive performance and I'm not saying that that's a direct A to B causation, but I do think it's notable that against the team where there are mismatches to hunt, similar to the Chicago game where they went to that kind of more last year style offense of attacking mismatches when the chips were down in that game. They did that a lot yesterday. And obviously no team is going to run one set and one offense for an entire 48 minutes. Um, 
what is your appetite for them kind of mixing and matching those? Like, yes, we got to get these and we have to build these as our, as our foundational philosophies, but we also want to win games. So if Pascal's eating against Grant Williams or whoever it is, we're going to veer off and feed that as much as we need to. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just like all things like, you know, common sense has to prevail over just like, just like hard fundamental principles in this case. Like, and it's not like, okay, Pascal can't fit into a 0.5 offense and therefore we got to break it just to make sure he's okay. I don't think it's that severe. I think that there's going to be time that it's going to take for him to get out of that and to learn how to play within that scheme. And you got to give people time to adjust and magically get and to the And it's not spot. just him. Like, that Bulls game, Scotty was attacking mismatches. OG went yeah. into the post a little bit. Like, it's, it's more about, you know, how you're... It's more about what your intent is as you start that first action of a possession, whether it's the elbow DHO or a pick and roll or whatever. Yeah. Is it to start spraying and ha- 0.5, 0.5, Or is it just, this is what we're identifying... And the 0.5 here is 0.5 seconds into the possession. We've identified that we want to go to that mismatch. Yeah, listen, I think long-term, um, you need to see Pascal grow and add more parts to his game and even adapt his game so that he can play within the regular offense. Uh, but also at the same time, there are lots of skills that he has. And I appreciate what Darko has been sort of saying here. It's like, look, Pascal, I think, has done a lot to like meet the coach at his level, right? And, and that's what you should expect. You expect any employee to meet their boss at their level at a certain degree. But at the same time, you know, it's on the boss to realize, okay, look, listen, like we got to make it work for you as well. And so especially in the meantime, even if it's a bit of a compromise, we got to find a way to get you involved because ultimately the goal is not necessarily just to play the offense at the highest possible level um, within this specific scheme. It's to play the way that can get you to win games. And I think that tonight or yesterday, they did a really good job of finding them in those spots. Um, I I don't necessarily see them as exclusive long-term. In the meantime, there probably are some sort of like um, things that they got to work together on. But I, ultimately, I like the process of this. The fact that Darko, you know, goes out to meet with Pascal and, and sort of really discuss this. Even post-game, you know, Darko talked about, you know, like, I'm not against mid-range shots. I just think that we need to not, like, dribble the air out of the ball and, like, everyone else is standing around and there's no offense going around. No, I don't think anyone wants that. I don't even think Pascal wants that, right? And there are other, you know, I think Darko, being the true coach that he is, Praise the good, but also even pointed out there's like a couple possessions where Pascal took a mid-range jumper. Someone was open to the strong side for a kickout three, and so those reads will have to improve. But that's a work in progress. And in the meantime, if you're working together on that goal towards something that's going to help the group collectively, that's the whole point of the season. It's right? also the mid-range shots right now, at least, are there, right? Like, like you said, sure, there yeah. are examples where, yes, you could have made an extra pass or work that possession a little longer. You don't want to settle for those. But, like, look at Dennis Schroeder's shot diet late in that game last night. If everyone is going to go under and suck way down into the paint because they don't have a rim protector on the floor, that elbow jumper for Dennis Schroeder, that elbow range floater for Gary Trent coming around one of those, you know, mid-range pin downs, those are going to be there. So, um, yeah, like, you don't want to build the whole offense out of those. It's okay to take them once in a while. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, like, what do you sometimes? I don't know. With with Yak in the paint constantly, like, it's like, I don't, you can't always get to the rim every time you want. Like, it's ideal if you can get single coverage. And I thought the Raptors did a really good job. Darko did a good job of, you know, limiting Yak's minutes yesterday. I thought he did a couple good things, but like, ultimately, they look so much better with Otto just like spacing the floor out. Yeah. So I was, I wanted to ask you about that, that change. And, and I actually thought it was more for defensive reasons than offensive sure, yeah, reasons. Yeah, yeah. The spacing was pretty cramped up, even without, you know, a, a rim protector there, maybe even worse because Dallas was, you know, helping a little more mm-hmm. than they maybe would with Derek Lively back there. But what I thought the, the key change was is 
obviously those Luca Dwight Powell pick and rolls were really, really effective. Dwight Powell is an awesome screener. He's so good at that. I'm going to set the screen and then I'm going to roll. But the roll is really just about like blocking someone out of the way. It's the yep. old Gortot screen. Yep. If you remember from when the Raptors played the Wizards in the playoffs, it's like set a screen and then roll into what's probably an illegal screen, but is never, ever going to get called as one. Powell's really good at those. And obviously Luca is going, you're going to have the big shade to Luca no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just if he throws it over top to Dwight Powell, he throws it over top to Dwight Powell. But OG, even OG, who is obviously so good defensively and had a pretty good game on that end, struggled to get around those Dwight Powell screens quick enough. So what we were seeing was, you know, Pirtle trying to stay down the side of the lane with Luca to at least make sure a shot at the rim was like a shot from five feet at mm-hmm. a weird angle. Mm-hmm. And once that stopped, um, I think the the big reason to take Yakov was they put Barnes on on Powell instead so that they could switch that with OG and, and Barnes a little bit more freely. Um, I thought, again, Barnes had a really good game kind of defending a, in a big position instead of a perimeter position. But then what the Mavs countered right back was with, okay, well, Tim Hardaway is the screener now. We're going to drag Dennis Schroeder into these actions. Or, or they didn't go to it a ton, but like a Luka Kyrie action is going to break your defense because, you know, there are like three guys in the league that can defend both of those guys capably. One or two of them play for the Raptors. Yeah, um, Scotty, baby. yeah. Um, so yeah. What, what did you think of that defensive adjustment? Obviously, the Mavs counter adjust, and there's no there's no good way to stop Luca or slow him down. But I thought, as far as Luca games go, thirty one on thirty five used possessions. Yeah. Not. Not bad. And a lot of those were just like he got layups late in the game. Mm-hmm. He walked to the basket, and the Raptors didn't want to give up an and one. Because they're protecting a ten-point lead, like I don't. Quite frankly, I don't care about those buckets. They didn't affect the game whatsoever. Over the balance of the game, at the start of the game, the Raptors really screwed up their coverages quite a bit. And that's one of the reasons for those adjustments that you mentioned. Um, and Luca got off to a really nice start, both like for his own scoring and also kicking it out. But over the balance of the game, second to third quarter in particular, like OG made him work for everything, man. Everything he had to work for. It was and, and when it wasn't OG, like. You saw that possession in the game that Pascal uh, switched on to Luca, and Luca tried to like wiggle past him like four or five times, and Pascal just cut him off at every opportunity. Contested, made him take a fadeaway mid-range two, fadeaway with a hand right in his face, missed a shot, and then Scotty took the ball the other way, and somehow Scotty, by the way, in that play, picked up his dribble at the three-point line, and scored it for a layup at the rim. Like you know how large and athletic you got to be to do something like that, and how skilled. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I just think the Raptors as a whole did a really great job of, um, you know, from the coaching staff on down of, of having plans for Luca. So yeah, Darko even said after the game that he was tempted to give the chain of the game to the assistant coaches collectively mm. for, I guess, the game plan that they had and the advanced scout that they had on the Mavs and some of those adjustments. Uh, last one for you on the defense from me anyway. Um, I think we've probably talked about Malachi this year more than, a guy playing 14 minutes a game in a backup point guard role maybe necessitates, but it was pretty extreme to the negative at the start. And now he's put together a couple good games. Um, what did you like about his game last night and particularly the minutes he spent on Kyrie? Um, I, I mean, I like the fact that he had enough, like either he was doing enough defensively to annoy Kyrie or that they were even going at it a little bit that they had those interactions because like, I mean, it's Kyrie Irving. Like, that's one of the toughest covers in the league, period, ever. You know what I mean? Look like, at the handle, man. It's crazy. The handle, the touch, the like, he's just obviously a ridiculous player. We obviously know who Kyrie is at this point. But, you know, watching Malachi and the whole team prop him up, and who knows, maybe the long term it doesn't even work out and he doesn't get to this level. 
and you got to move on and try someone else, that's fine to me. But watching Malachi get his chance and fully, fully get his chance, not like the Tampa tank situation, that's not a chance. That's just like, let's intentionally lose games. So we're going to start like Malachi Flynn and, and Jalen Harris and, you know, like our two rookies at the end of the season. That doesn't feel like a chance because that wasn't meaningful. They're playing seven-man rotation with like Freddie Gillespie and Ken Birch and, and Aaron Baines, you know, like that's not meaningful. This is an actual meaningful chance, and who knows how many minutes he's going to play. If he doesn't play well enough, the Raptors have other options. Darko's not giving him free minutes, but what he is giving him is every opportunity to be supported for his teammates to get su- to give him that support. Dennis came on the show earlier this week, talked about how much he's been in his ear, how much Darko's given that chance to say, we believe in you. If you screw up, you still got a chance tomorrow. That's just good. First of all, that sounds like good parenting, but that's, that's just like really good coaching in general, and it creates a supportive environment where at least we can see what we have with Malachi, right? And and maybe he doesn't have anything at the end. Maybe we're you know, a lot of people are right to doubt him because he hasn't shown much. Fine, but right now we're getting more and more productive games from Malachi, and you know to the point where I thought yesterday he was a pretty big positive on the game, knocked down some threes, made the right passes, and he's been so pesky on defense. Mm-hmm. You know, Dennis has been like he's taking my thing, he's doing my thing of like pressing full court. And that's what I liked seeing from Dennis every game. It's just, you know, okay, let me force Kyrie to turn his back once or twice before he gets half court, eat some time off the clock. Malachi's doing the same thing right now. Mm-hmm. So it's great, man. This this saving of Malachi's life uh, and his career is one of my favorite, like, storylines of the season. It's like a super subplot, but, you know, maybe it's like when Bubbles has a happy ending at the end of The Wire. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry, that's a bad comparison. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... It wasn't that dire. <laughs> I don't know what to dire. do with that comparison. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I thought I thought it was pretty good. And, and you know, even a, an 8-4-4 four, and four line, you don't really care that much what numbers he's giving you yeah. as long as those minutes are, are cohesive and the, yeah, yeah. the bench doesn't burn it. But that bench unit, and I, I think it was a Scotty and bench unit for a little bit, and then a Pascal and bench unit for a little bit, and then I know OG was in some of them. But every bench player who played, except for Grady, uh, had a positive plus minus which again isn't everything but that at least tells you that the bench held their own uh in the kind of transitional units which are difficult because for the Mavs it's Luca and some bench guys or Kyrie and some bench guys and those bench guys include Tim Hardaway who's their best three-point shooter and was hot last night and Josh Green who's their best defender so Mm. those are pretty well equipped transitional lineups on Dallas and the Raptors kind of uh kind of took care of them yeah what about friend of the program Chris Boucher Alex yeah, Chris came off the bench yesterday. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't know I was still in this segment. No, I, thought you're, I, was you're in, here. I was. I thought I was in my producer role. Yeah, what's going on, guys? Keep the combo going. It's uh, great. I do have an answer <laughs> okay. for you on uh, chaining fry. Uh, oh yes, so this yeah. was back in. This two, I'll tap in for. This was yeah. back in 2018-19 season. Um, so earlier in the championship season, uh, I did this, and it was. Oh yeah, I went through the numbers of who's killed the Raptors the most over time, and it was—it's not just who's put up the biggest numbers because obviously then like, oh, LeBron has killed the Raptors, but LeBron is LeBron, so this is relative to what they did against everyone else. They are especially dangerous against the Raptors. Uh, I actually gave Chaining Fry an assistant coach position because he was oh, like basically not playing the- anymore. At that point, okay. um, so he did make the list, but he got the assistant coach. The melted, the melted face god. Yes, the yeah. melted face god. Um, obviously, Gerald Henderson yep. is on there. Uh, a funny one to look at now is Jeremy Lin was really, really high up there as a Raptor mm, killer. Um, right. Way back to Lin Sanity, obviously, the Valentine's Day massacre <laughs> uh, when he hit the buzzer beater here and all of uh, Air Canada Center at the time was cheering for the Knicks. Yeah, the, um, the Asian, Asian, the Asian the, Raptors community was quite divided. Asians yeah. came out. <laughs> weirdly came out weirdly one of the biggest ones 
was Tyreek Evans, who I don't really remember any big Tyreek Evans games. Mm. But this will be no surprise that when I crunched those numbers at that point in time, the biggest Raptor killer relative to what they did against every other team was Doug McDermott. Oh, Oh. wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, you had, know, he had a 65 out. true shooting percentage against the Raptors and 56 against everyone else. And his game score, which is the base, basketball reference mm-hmm. kind of catch-all for box score mm-hmm. contributions, was almost double against the Raptors what it was against anyone else. Yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, <laughs> I think what's funny is if there was an official Gerald Henderson team uh, mm. for that era, it was the Chicago Bulls. The Bulls just had our number. For oh, yeah, like, across a lot of eras, man. The most annoying sort of uh, losses. What was so, it, 13 games in a row or something, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And it was, obviously, a lot of it was Jimmy Butler, but, like, there were games where McDermott or, you know, guys like that would just come yeah. off the bench and just and torch their eyes. Hey, last thing before we go, mm. uh, Ben Taylor, man. A lot of Ben Taylor on the broadcast last night. I think I might have seen Ben Taylor more than I saw Luca on the broadcast. <laughs> you mm. know, it's just because he kept getting himself involved. And credit to Darko, um, because... He had the back-to-back challenges. Consecutive possessions. Amazing. Woo. Damn. I haven't seen back-to-back long, like, like that since the boy went at... Uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say 92-93 Jays, man. And, and despite right all of that and the uh, the flopping technical on Gary Trent Jr., yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which has got to be the first flopping technical ever where the guy didn't actually fall. He exaggerated how much he was knocked back. But, I mean, I don't know. Like It was just like a play on for me. But uh, uh, it wasn't even the worst refereeing performance of the night in the NBA because Giannis got tossed for oh, a second yeah. technical for dunking and not just like staring down yeah. the defender. Yeah. And that was the second tech and he got tossed. Once again, my question to everybody today, as I essentially depart the show, at least for the rest of the, the, this episode. Yeah, go home. Is uh, do y'all like basketball? Mm. Let's just enjoy basketball. <laughs> Why'd you look at me when you said that? <laughs> uh, anyway, we're going to take a break. I've been your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network on Sportsnet 360. I'm Blake Murphy, William Liu. Out for the final hour here, Alex Wong alongside me. What's up, man? How's the seat change treating you? Yeah, we're just jumping around today, man. Um, I like the length of this table. Um, it's very wide. Um, we're gonna have um, we're gonna do some nine oh five content, like you mentioned here in the second hour. We have some cool guests, some cool pre taped interviews. Yeah. Like. So for anyone who hasn't heard us talk about it or doesn't know, you know, one of the ideas with us expanding to two hours this year is we'll have a little bit more time to do Raptors nine oh five stuff and keep an eye on that player development side of things without taking away from the Raptors coverage. Uh, the 905 get underway tomorrow night, Friday. Uh, they are on the road against the Long Island Nets to start the season. And then they come home. They play Sunday and Tuesday at Paramount Fine Food Center in Mississauga. And uh, yeah, the two of those games, the two home games are against the College Park Skyhawks. Now, if you are a longtime Raptors 905 fan, you will find something very amusing about this coaching matchup in that two of the assistant coaches under Jamal Malalela, when he was the head coach of the 905, will be coaching head-to-head in this one, Eric Curry on the 905 side, and the head coach of the College Park Skyhawks, Ryan Schmidt, joins us now. Ryan, what's going on, man? Long time. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm good. Uh, the official team gear, nice. Uh, I can see some of the plays behind you. I, I don't know if you want me breaking those down. Um 
man, how are you feeling? This is your first season as a G League head coach. Uh, how was camp? How are you feeling headed into things? No, I'm excited. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun. Obviously, training camp is, from a coaching standpoint, it can never be long enough. You always feel like there's a long, you know, a lot more to do. Um, but I really like our group. We have a, a group with a couple of returners that were on the team here last year um, and a lot of new faces. And I, I feel kind of collectively we've, you know, the chemistry is getting where it needs to be. And, um, you know, at this time for the players, especially, they're just excited to play a real game. Uh, in terms of the players, I mean, you have to say you're excited about everyone, of course. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, the, the two ways that the Atlanta Hawks have are Trent Forrest, Seth Lundy, and Miles Norris. I'd imagine uh, once he's healthy, you probably see a little bit of Kobe Bufkin down there as well, who was, you know, a draft name that, that a lot of Raptors fans kicked around. How are the NBA guys fitting into camp so far? And, you know, where are your expectations for, for the trio of two ways? Yeah, I think for us, you know, Seth and Miles have both been with us in camp. Trent has been was with the Hawks, um, you know, traveling. You know, not sure how much we'll see of him. Um, but, you know, Seth and Miles, for me, it's been fun to see just their, you know, kind of development, just even the short time, you know, being with the Hawks during the preseason and, you know, training camp. You know, a lot of times, like, sometimes, you know, these guys don't get a lot of reps. Like, there'll be days where they're very involved in practice, other days where they're not. Um, but just to kind of see them able to, you know, retain the, the knowledge and absorb it and then be able to have the carryover to when we come to college park training camp. And now they're the guys that even though they're rookies, they're kind of veterans in a lot of ways because of the familiarity with what we're doing on the offensive side, defensive side. Um, and to kind of see them step into that role um, and kind of excel early on has been really good. And just, you know, for being young and being rookies, you know, I like how vocal they've been um, and just kind of coming and setting the tone competitively with training camp. In terms of, uh, you know, the start of the season here, I'd imagine you're itching to play real games at this point. Uh, you guys are not playing on opening night on Friday. You don't play until Sunday here in Mississauga against the 905. And look, I, I'd imagine you and Eric Curry, the, the coach of the 905, will have a little bit of a friendly rivalry. In seriousness, though, how much of an advantage do you think it could be that you'll have tape on them to help your guys prep for that game? They won't have tape on you yet. Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of, you know, it can be an advantage in some ways, a disadvantage the other. I think being able to see them before we play is, is definitely an advantage. You know, on the flip side, you know, I think them having a game under their belt and, you know, depending on whatever the result is for their game on Friday, you know, they now have played a real game and they'll have some film to dive into. And, you know, now they, the first game jitters for them are kind of out of their way. And so I guess it's, you know, it, depending on how you look at it, um, I, I do like the fact that at least we'll have some sort of familiar you know, game plan as far as their tendencies and what they like to do, even if it's just one game. Um, but, you know, we, we do know that it's going to be our first one. And um, the first one, again, sometimes it can be it can be sloppy at times and just the nerves. And a lot of these guys will be the first professional basketball game. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of dependent on what, what vantage point you're looking at it from. So it's not your for first professional game as a head coach, but it is your first G League game as a head coach. Um, how special will it be for you to have that come not only against Raptors 905, uh, an organization you were a part of for a couple of years, but head to head against Eric Curry, who you guys were assistants on the same staff a couple of years back? Yeah, it's, you know, it's going to be a pretty cool moment for me. I, it was, you know, when I saw the schedule come out, it was, you know, I, I had a big smile on my face. It was pretty ironic how, you know, the schedule guys kind of worked itself out. And, um, you know, it's, on Sunday will be a pretty cool moment just to be able to walk into the Paramount, you know, find food center. And you know, there's a lot of good memories there. And, and that's really where, you know, my professional career from a coaching standpoint really took off when Jerry Stackhouse hired me uh, back in 2017 and was able to work for JAMA. Um, also, Patrick McTumble, that was a bubble year. Um, 
but yeah, and then coaching against Eric, um, as well as, you know, being able to be a head coach in the CBL. So Canada has been, you know, we were, my wife and I were there for five years, uh, for which I spent with the Toronto organization. Uh, so it holds a, a dear place in my heart and, you know, she's coming up as well to kind of see friends and be a part of everything. So we're excited. It's uh, pretty cool how it worked out. That's awesome to hear. Um, I, I know not in a, uh, I don't even know if it was an official capacity, but your, your Canadian connections, you did some stuff with Canada, Canada basketball as well. I know you helped, you know, while you were in town in the off seasons, kind of keep some of these Canadian guys in shape and working on their game. What was that experience like? And uh, I don't know, did you like, ha- I, I know you have uh, Britain ties now as well as, as the United States, but were you like half rooting for Canada basketball in the world cup this summer? Oh yeah. No, it's uh, you know, the, those Canada players like getting a chance to, so Nate Mitchell, uh, who's now with the Milwaukee Bucks, was with the Raptors for a while. He, him and I worked together my first year in the G League with Stack. Um, and in that offseason, you know, he brought me in and kind of just, you know, introduced me to a lot of people with Canada basketball. I helped a lot on the player development side, you know, the guys that worked at the training center throughout the summer. And, you know, to be able to have, you know, Shea and Nikhil, um, you know, Dylan, all these guys that would come through over the, over the summers I was there. And then to be able to kind of see now, you know, this past summer, like where they've gotten to, you know, on the national or on the international stage, um, you know, it's pretty cool. And, you know, I, it's, it's been fun. I spent enough time there and like with my friends and the people I worked with, you know, they, they say I'm an honorary Canadian. So I was definitely pulling for them. Yeah. Honorary Canadian. If you hang two L's on, on Raptors 905 this week, we'll see. We'll see about that. But uh, yeah, for now. Um, so you were with the 905 for a couple of years. You, you mentioned it there. You got to work under three different head coaches. Um, Jerry Stackhouse, who's obviously, uh, you know, a, a well-known name, a big personality now having some success at Vanderbilt on the college side. Uh, Jama Malalela, who's back with the Raptors now in a, a front of bench assistant coaching role and Patrick Matumbo, who, uh, you know, like yourself came up as a bit of a player development guy before getting the, the G league reigns. Um, now that you're in this spot, how do you look back on, on your couple of years with the nine Oh five and how it helped you in your coaching development get to this point? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I wouldn't be sitting where I'm at if it wasn't for, you know, those years in Toronto. And, you know, I was very fortunate because I don't think it's, it's kind of rare, I think, to be able to stay with one organization, but be able to learn under, you know, three different people, you know, four, obviously with, with Nick being the head coach of the Raptors at the time and being around that stuff. And I just think to me, it was, you know, stack that first year, you know, I was new to the NBA and G league side and, and learning the terminology and the systems and, you know, just being around it, you're, that first year, you're just trying to kind of keep your head above water and, and learn and contribute and add value in as many ways as you can. And, and then, but again, it's just a chance to see him work and, you know, at his craft and how serious he took it and um, watching him and what he's done with his career has been, has been awesome, you know, and he's been in my corner and supported me this whole time. And, you know, we've been able to stay in touch and then same with Jamma, like being able to work with him for two years and see him, you know, go from being an assistant on the NBA side to now, you know, in a leadership role. And I learned so much from him just, in as a leader and just how he day to day was handling people, managing people and was so organized and you know, always made you feel like you're the most important person in the room at the time. Uh, and then Matumbo, even though it was a short while, like in the bubble, you know, being able to see him handle that transition. And we had a, you know, an influx of talent that bubble year. You know, if you guys remember, that was the year that did not every team in the G League opted in to play it. So I, I don't know the exact number, but I want to say it was only like 20 teams 
that played. And there's a lot of guys that opted into play. And that team we had was, you know, we had Gary Payton and Nick Stauskas and Henry Ellenson, Alizé Johnson. And, you know, we're low. And to see, watch him manage that, you know, we had a really good year. So again, like I say all that because three different coaches, but being able to stay in the same organization, um, you take a lot of that with you and then was able to kind of go on from there and be a head coach in the CVL and go to London um, and kind of take a lot of those things that I've learned and try to apply it to what I'm doing and add my own twist to it. And um, so, again, I wouldn't be here if, if it wasn't for those guys and, and my experiences in those years that I was in Toronto and forever you know, thankful and grateful for it. So I know when I was on the road with you guys for that feature that I, I did for The Athletic, I, I was with you guys and in the hotel and on the, on the flights and in the locker room and things like that uh, for about a week. And you know, at that time, at least you were basically the guy handling the two ways. So, um, you know, every assistant coach has their film work and their pregame work with a different player. Yours tended yours at that time tended to be with the two way guys. Um, what was that process like from a communication between the G league and the NBA side? And I guess, how do you take that experience now into handling the two ways with the Hawks? Yeah, that, that was fun for me. I, I think that was kind of, uh, you know, them kind of giving me that responsibility and, having a chance to work with those guys that went back and forth and, and just the interaction with the actual Raptors and, you know, whether it was with Nick or Bobby, um, you know, and the front office staff, just trying to kind of monitor and, and help these guys with their development. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And also just the players I was able to work with during that time. That was, that was fun. Um, and then again, it kind of gave me insight as to, you know, all right, how, should this be handled? Like, what are some different things? Like maybe some ideas that I would have that, you know, we need to be a little bit better in or uh, be on top of. And again, just that carryover. And then now that was a big thing when I kind of went through the process in Atlanta, um, just hearing, I got a chance to, you know, when, when Quinn reached out to me to gauge my interest on the job um, and then get a chance to talk with him, Landry and Kyle, obviously, um, and just their vision for how they want College Park utilized. Um, that to me was the exciting piece, right? I think just the overall integration, you know, and being able to collaborate, you know, collectively, um, you know, them bringing me in as a full-time assistant with the Hawks. Um, so again, I was, I've been with them, the the kind of the tail end of the summer, all of the preseason, traveled with them early on to, to start the NBA season and we'll maybe join them on a trip here and there when the schedule allows. So just again, in that dialogue, like to me, that's, it's been fun for me as a coach, but then also too, I think that's where it's really going to be beneficial for our two-way players. And, you know, if we do have, you know, Kobe Bufkin or Mo Gay, um, who might see time with us. I think it's just going to help them as much because you're, I'm always going to be kind of current and up to date and just that, that dialogue amongst the coaching staff in front office with what these guys are needed, you know, what, what areas do we really need to focus on, you know, and that way when they do go back to the Hawks and if, whether it's opportunity presents itself for whatever reason, you know, they're ready to go and, and they're not missing a beat. Uh, yeah. And for anyone who got confused by that, there is a Mo Gay on the Atlanta Hawks and a Mo Gay on Raptors 905. There are two players That's with right. the same names who could end up head to head. Uh, Ryan, but before I let you go here, um, there is a G league gap on your resume. And you mentioned why uh, a moment ago you went over to coach in Britain last year for the London Lions. And that kind of became Raptors 905 UK. You were there. Sam Decker was there who had had some time uh, with the Toronto Raptors. Aaron Best, who was a 905er. Uh, Matt Morgan is now over there. Uh, even Tomislav Zubcic, who the Raptors held the draft rights to for years, uh, ended up on that team. How was your experience coaching in the BBL? Most of, I think, the Toronto audience only knows about the BBL, what Nick Nurse has relayed in anecdotes over the years. 
Yeah, no, I was, I really enjoyed it. I think just the experience to, to coach internationally, you know, I, I know a lot of the listeners probably are familiar because of what Nick's talked about in his experience. And, um, and that was a big reason why I had interest when the opportunity presented itself. And I think, you know, I enjoyed my time in the G league and did it, did it for four years. Um, you know, I'd always thought about the possibility of what it would be like coaching internationally, but like opportunities aren't really there. And, you know, you're not sure if you want to go coach in certain countries where there might be a huge language barrier and all sorts of things. So the fact that it was London, I knew the GM at the time um, and kind of just the the project that they were starting in with the new ownership group um, that to me was intriguing. And then, you know, the second year we played in the Euro cup, which is, you know, high level basketball and, did a lot of cool things last year. We just we were the first British team ever to to qualify for the playoffs in European competition. Uh, you know, we won the treble, which is three the domestic championships, and yeah, it was pretty it was pretty crazy that the uh, the Toronto connection, <laughs> even me going over there and having Sam and Aaron Best, and um, obviously I was planning on being back in London again this season, um, so was very heavily involved in recruiting Matt Morgan, who ended up signing there, and then when I ended up getting this and and taking the job. Um, you know, he decided to stay and, you know, for those that are keeping up with him, he's having a hell of a season. over mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And I guess now your only uh, Canadian connection is Mikhail McIntosh on your college park, uh, Skyhawks roster, a uh, former 905er and a Canadian there. Uh, Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Uh, really great to catch up with you and see your growth on the coaching side. Hope you have a very good season after Tuesday. I uh, appreciate it, Blake. Thank you. Ryan Schmidt, head coach of the College Park Skyhawks. They are the G League affiliate of the Atlanta Hawks, and they'll play two against Raptors 905 early this season, Sunday at 2 p.m. at Paramount Fine Food Center in Mississauga and Tuesday at 730 uh, as well. Those games are a lot of fun, especially if you're people who have kids. Uh, It's a more affordable, it's a more accessible and kind of more intimate basketball experience. They're always a blast. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk to Luke Wynn, who was formerly... In a position like ours, kind of. He was Sports Illustrated's head college basketball writer and analyst, as well as focusing on international basketball. 2017, he gets a call from Masai Ujiri and says, hey, would you want to come to the team side? He'll walk us through that process and how he's now worked his way up to being general manager of Raptors 905. Uh, Luke Wynn joins us next as the Raptors show continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. I'm Blake Murphy. Will Lou uh, not with us for this last chunk of the show uh neither am i technically because it was pre-taped uh (laughs) i got a chance this week uh to sit down for a while with luke win luke is uh the general manager of raptors 905 prior to that he was the toronto raptors director of prospect strategy which is about the coolest front office title uh that i think i've heard so we talked for a good amount of time about luke's really interesting career path as well as where the Raptors 905 sit now coming into this season. Again, they get underway Friday. They have the three two ways that you saw in camp. They have guys like Mo Gay and McCormaker Maker, who you would have saw in camp. I have a feature coming at sportsnet.ca either this evening or tomorrow morning on Justice Winslow, who is a member of those of the Raptors 905. Um, so it should be a pretty exciting season. It should be a lot of fun down there. Uh, let's play that interview now with Luke Wynn, general manager of Raptors 905. Joined now by general manager of Raptors 905, formerly 
of Sports Illustrated uh, came up as a as a journalist. I was going to say a journalist like me, but I didn't come up as a journalist. Uh, Luke Wynn, how are you, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me on, Blake. Uh, I'm good, man. I'm excited for the season to start later this week. I know you guys had a big uh, open practice Monday out in Scarborough. Let's start there. Uh, how much fun did you guys have? And did you find it to be a good final look before you guys made your final cuts? Yeah, I mean, it actually went down to the wire with a uh, Jay Sean Jay Sean Page game winner. Uh, I, I hope the fans at Scarborough were, enter were entertained. We did have to make cuts that night. So we have the roster down from 15 to 10 that we're heading into opening night with in Long Island. Um, I felt like it was worthwhile. Look, I mean, for some of the guys, when you pick them in the G League draft or pick them up after that, it's probably like an unfair time window of four practices and a couple of scrimmages to really get to know them. But, you know, the big work of building a G League roster all happens ahead of that, you know, starting from summer league on. So I, I think we had the bulk of it done prior to last night. Yeah, from outside, my read was kind of just one spot maybe up for grabs. You guys grabbed Miles Burns in the first round of the draft and then had five guys either between tryout or um, undrafted free agents. For, for listeners who don't know and aren't familiar with that process, how does like the tryout or undrafted free agent process work in the G League? We, we have a sense of it in the NBA, but in the G League, is it, uh, man, I, I, I'd imagine it's all just like, Who's left top of the list or who, what agent do I know and wants to come in? What is filling the camp roster like? Well, I think though that, that one of the coolest parts of the G league is that technically like the door is open for someone to walk in off the street and make a G league team. You can't do that in the NBA, obviously. So yeah, the open tryout is open to anyone. Agents certainly refer guys in, but sometimes people come in who you didn't know anything about. I mean, we had a guy, Colin Doherty, who was a D3 player, uh, Hobart, uh, came from outside of Buffalo, who who really made it up through that process all the way to the end of last night. I mean, regrettably I had to cut him, but he was like a fantastic, uh, it was, it was a cool story. Like we didn't know much about him. He was one of the best players in the tryout. We brought him to training camp. He was a great presence there. Um, you know, it hurt to have to let some of those guys go, but I, I thought that like, you know, it is a way to see some names that you hadn't seen in summer league or, or anywhere else. So um, yeah, ultimately we went with miles Burns. We picked in the first round of the G league draft a guy who, you know, a little bit of a, of a diamond in the rough who played at NAIA Loyola, New Orleans for four years before he got, one year in D1, um, just like a steals machine who, you know, to me, sometimes you know, when you're hitting the G League draft, you're looking for somebody who maybe has one or two elite skills, and then you hope you can build on the rest of them. And I think for Miles to start out, his baseline was just like two things, played extremely hard all the time that we saw in the film and, and, and the G League, like that matters. That will actually take you quite far with being someone who puts in crazy effort and incredible defensive instincts just to kind of pounce on balls, be disruptive, create turnovers, um, you know, and he's been able to, that has translated in at least what we've seen in scrimmages and things like that. So I think there, you know, there's a role from here. That's why ultimately he kind of won that battle for the last roster spot. Yeah, you could just say it. He's six six. He doesn't really have an established three point shot, and he defends like crazy, including long arms in in passing and driving lanes. He's he was the most Raptorsy guy on the board, right? Like he made a three in the open scrimmage last night. So there you go. There you go. Uh, moving in the right direction. Um, okay, I do want to I want to tee up the the season and do some preview stuff. Talk about what you see the season looking like some of the individual players. Um, but I, I also, before we get there, I wanted to go through your background. So for anyone who doesn't know, you came up through the writing scene. Uh, you got a journalism degree from Northwestern and then, sorry, my cat is shaking the monitor here on me. Um, 
Jordan. And then you were SI's primary college basketball and Olympic writer for like 12 or 15 years. Um, man, can, can you uh, walk us through a little bit what the process was like and how long it was on your radar to go from, you know, someone in a position similar to mine to someone on the, the team side? It was not on my radar, uh, to be honest with you. I, I think that the the way this kind of came about was, you know, I had been in a lot of the same places as NBA people in terms of, of doing stories on, on guys and, and and had done some stories on some key eventual Raptors. Um, Fred Van Vliet's story for Sports Illustrated had covered um, Jonas Valanciunas, you know, in Europe and uh, Jakob Pertl at Utah and some of the, some of the guys coming in and, um, but I hadn't been pushing to work in the NBA. Um, and Masai called me kind of out of the blue in 2017. I just assumed it was to talk players, you know, ahead of the draft. You know, people would do that sometimes, the journalists. And and it was not about that. It was actually to ask if I had ever thought about um, front office work in the NBA just to basically, you know, help find players and help identify talent in different ways. And I thought I kind of botched the first call. I, I was sort of caught so off guard that I remember telling my wife, like, I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't expect that to happen. And I didn't think it went that well. I was like, that'll probably not progress, but he, you know, he was persistent. And, and I think that like, you know, I started warming up to the idea of it, came to Toronto, met the people and was like, okay, this could be, this is something interesting that way. And, um, you know, ultimately like the jobs aren't the same, but there's aspects of being a sports illustrated writer that do overlap with like the scouting process in the NBA one, you're trying to identify stories, good stories ahead of people, other people. So it's a competitive environment of, of it's not a, from a pure talent perspective, but you don't want to, you do want to hit people that are going to blow up. You know, you, you want to be like, I did the first James Harden story in sports illustrated. I think I did the first small one, small mention of Russell Westbrook, uh, Fred Van Vliet, Ben Simmons, like all these guys where you're trying to get out in front of it and learn who they are. And so that in some way is talent identification. And then I sort of like understanding the player in a holistic way. And then I kind of had two jobs at Sports Illustrated, which one was doing features for the magazine and, and two was kind of leading the online coverage, which I had pushed in a big analytical direction. I kind of helped push Sports Illustrated's preseason rankings from just ranking the teams, you know, from in a human way of putting teams one through 351 in order to actually having a projection model uh, that did that and worked with, uh, there's an economist, by the way, Dan Hanner, and we kind of developed like a player-based uh, team projection model. Um, so we've done a lot of work that way on projecting college basketball players. And then I had a power rankings column that was a lot of original analytics. So I felt like I was kind of coming at players in a few different ways and, and really studying them on multiple levels. And you know, scouting in the NBA is all of that. It's not, it's, it's being a live scout and doing the kind of the classic eye test evaluation. And, you know, it's also learning who people are and it's also understanding like what the data says about them now and maybe what it says about how they could produce in the future. So um, there was plenty to learn. Like, I mean, I felt like part of the cool aspect of this job and probably the, one of the few reasons I was willing to leave what I thought was a dream job at Sports Illustrated to jump is that I would be able to, come in and learn from like exceptional people. So it was, you know, to me, it was like, I can work and help you, but I also almost want this advanced graduate degree in how an NBA team runs. And if I'm able to see how that works, like the first few years are going to be, it's going to be like 50% working and 50% learning and from Masai and Bobby and Dan Tolzman. And, you know, even like, so, you know, parts of our scouting group, like Curtis Crawford and Patrick Engelbrecht and Keith Boyarski from the analytics side. And so it was kind of trying to be a sponge and, 
I feel like if I had skipped some of those steps, like if not that anyone's going to offer me a GM job straight from Sports Illustrated, but if if I had, it, it probably wouldn't have gone well because there's like an incredible. You think that you know how how an NBA team would run, or or that you think you could do it, but there's so many you know so many things to learn and so many experiences. And the Raptors one has been varied and helpful in that we've you know we've been a, cont- a championship contender, a champion. We had a team that was you know had no draft picks. We had the number four pick. So all these experiences like learning how to handle different drafts and different situations is kind of like built up to this and made me feel comfortable about doing this now. Whereas like I came in pretty green, to be honest with you. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. And you you laid out some skills there that will obviously translate, you know, the ability to evaluate talent and put it out there, right? Like it's one thing to sit back and say, well, I knew Fred Van Vliet was going to be a thing, but to be able to point back to a piece and be like, look, I invested all this time at a guy for a reason, right? Like, like I'm still living off being high on Fred at summer league <laughs> in 2016. Um, so that's obviously one, you know, the relationships and things like that. You also, you hit on some, some analytics stuff there, some, you know, working with that side of the SI uh, the, and before that CNN SI. Um, how much do you think it's been an asset to you coming from a journalism background? Um, yeah, there's the storytelling element, but there's also a huge communication element. And when I think of a current NBA front office where, you know, there's analytics, there's scouting, there's the the head front office people, there's coaching staff, there's the player side, the agent side, being able to be a little bit of all of those things and kind of be a conduit between the groups. Have you sensed that a little bit or are the Raptors too, like everyone, I, I know everyone with you guys is pretty versatile anyway, but have you, you felt that versatility and that communication aspect be an advantage for you in the position? Yeah. I mean, I think that this is a pretty data fluent environment, um, you know, even for the NBA. So I don't want to sell anyone short that way, but look, the aspect, I would say there was a lot of value in figuring, having all these years at sports, sports illustrated, figuring out how to take analytically bent topics and make them digestible by the public. Like, you know, how do you take this, thing that we are noticing about college basketball and turn it into a feature, you know, and turn it into a magazine feature that can be digested by the masses. And so there are things like, yeah, we you have all this data on the draft. Like how do you present it in the in the room? How do you how do you present it, you know, as it pertains to like a specific argument and have it hit? And how do you kind of boil it down to like what matters? Because look, there's reams and reams of, you know, the, the depth of data available in the NBA. And now even on prospects is so deep that I think you have to like understand how to pick and choose your moments. And yeah, like having a decade of figuring out what to pick out and, and what was worth covering and and what was what was meaningful versus not meaningful in a, in a public way where you had to show your work all the time. Like that's, that's how you sharpen yourself. And so I felt good about that part. I mean, that's like a, that's that experience had a lot of value as it translated over. So obviously the Raptors have an entire analytics department. And like you said, they're data fluent. Um, did you get any feedback from Keith Boyarski who kind of heads that up on the effies? I know you used to use the effies to kind of um, boil down some, or try to find some under the radar guys year to year. <laughs> um, you know, I think, Keith will give me like, you know, the small sample warnings every once in a while. <laughs> I get too excited about something. And look, I mean, a lot of times the reality is with prospects, a lot of the samples are super small. And, you know, yeah. so you do need to, you it can't be your only thing. You know, you the, the talent evaluation in some of these settings, like the eye test stuff, it still matters a lot because, you know, if you're just working with 
20 games of someone's freshman season or, you know, or a little bit beyond before that, like in Nike or grassroots settings, like you can't make decisions entirely based on those things. So yes, like, uh, but has Keith, like, I mean, Keith is working with the highly advanced NBA data and the prospect data hasn't caught up with it yet. So, you know, we'll have arguments over what matters or what doesn't, but, um, you know, he's still, I think, he still enjoys coming at the draft from like an analytical lens and weighs in that way and cares about it. So I, I appreciate, you know, I appreciate all of the like healthy debates we have about prospects, which nice. continue to go on as they enter the NBA. Well, maybe once the NBA has figured out this Hawkeye installation at the NBA level, we can get it at the NCAA level. And I know you, you can't comment on that part, but uh, uh, another story for another time. Um, you mentioned the samples are really small with prospects. The samples are also pretty small in the decisions that you make, right? Where you get six exhibit 10 spots to help build this roster out. And, you know, not all of those are the same, right? A couple of those are true prospecty exhibit 10s. A couple are, let's give our guys a returning bonus. One is Justice Winslow, who's a case on his own. Um, how do you personally, and you guys as an organization, evaluate that the prospect and 905 side of things when the samples are pretty small and like, yeah, hitting on one Fred can make a huge difference. Whereas, you know, there are going to be years where maybe someone doesn't become an NBA guy. Sure. I mean, I think, right, if you have, right now you have three two ways and six exhibit tens as the primary tools for building your G League team and your development. And so I don't think that you have to have one specific philosophy that goes across all of them. I mean, for us, it's like, but we do want, growth oriented players we do want you know some of the, like they are like growth stocks to me essentially and i think that more of them should be that than others you know if you're if you're just in, investing in like flat g league contributors i don't know if that serves your organization in a, in a huge way versus you know so for us like and it doesn't have to be all rookies right i mean someone like uh, javon freeman liberty who has a two-way with us scouting doesn't stop at the draft like javon was a strong college player coming out of depaul i mean even he would not that we would base everything on a draft workout but i think he would even admit that he didn't have one of his best ones when he came in for us we were interested in him he stayed kind of in his area in chicago for his first year but we continued to scout him and saw you know him kind of breaking out this summer and so it's like okay that breakout starting to happen here and if we can bring him in and kind of empower him to have an even bigger role with us because he was kind of playing you know he was often coming out the bench for windy city's g league team last year and to kind of bring him up and hopefully be the g league team that he breaks out with and then eventually helps the nba team like that's a that's something that we're trying to bet on uh marquise noel uh, was a draft night rookie so sometimes you know you are giving those contracts out on the draft night um you know marquise is going to be a big part of you know i think what you know drives 905 uh you know but part of having a good g league team to me is having like multiple playmakers so that's javon that's marquise and then ron harper coming back um you know, once if you're going to be a second year two way in a team, there's there's a lot on you in terms of like one to earn that second year, you had to show growth. And Ron did late in the season, I think, with the 905 and not just growth, like statistically, but growth, like playing on the ball and playmaking. So kind of having that group of guys who can create is important to me. Um, and, and Ron is also being challenged to be like a big voice and culture center because he knows what we're about he you know is a he's a natural leader has a has a great voice in the team but he also you know needs to be a dominant g leaguer this year to help carry the team and justice like we mentioned i mean i know we, we were filling out some questionnaires on media day and and 
I believe it was asked like, what position are you if you can define yourself? And I think Justice asked me what he should put down. And I, I suggested all because, you know, I, I've, seen him play a million. I've seen him play all over the place. Like I covered him in college at Duke when 2015 Final Four, I've seen him be a wing there. I've seen him play point in the NBA. I've seen him play front court positions. He decided to put down point guard. So, you know, that's if you're if you're imagining what he's thinking. So he's an extremely versatile piece um, that we could use all over the G League. And um, Omari Moore also is another one who was kind of a, you know, analytically strong prospect coming to San Jose State in terms of like on-ball creation of versatile and kind of like a wing-sized creator who I think is also kind of in that mix. Um, and then, you know, we brought back Daryl Morcel, who was kind of a, a key, like, I thought culture piece and high, a very high end defender who we want to kind of keep de developing his offensive skills. Um, and it seems to be the 10 and then front court wise, you know, two very like still growing, you know, very Raptors -y prospects in Mo Gay and McCore maker who we kind of want to develop that way. Um, and you know, that's a, it's not going to look like in, you know, a, one of those NBA teams with like a classic center, but you know, you know, some of our Raptors ethos of, of being a little bit creative that way and, and hopefully pushing the pace and using long and uh, versatile big men to, to make it all work together and be a fun product. Man, I was talking to Justice earlier today, and we were talking about the 2016 Heat Raptors series. I know you weren't with the Raptors yet, but he like came off the bench as a point guard and then started at center later in that series um, yeah. because of the injuries. So um, that is, yeah, I mean, it all sounds very Raptors-y. Um, Justice was also telling me that in his eyes, uh, Mo Gay was probably the standout of camp or, or at least, you know, maybe he just didn't know about him a, a lot beforehand or something. Um, is that fair? Did he have a really strong camp? Mo did. I think that Mo has, we brought him in for summer league. He had played with the Texas legends uh, in his first year in the G league. And again, you know, a little bit like, you know, mentioned Freeman Liberty. Uh, we've done this with Chris Boucher, where it's a year after the G League. We still kind of see some upside, you know, that was another program. We want to kind of bring him into our development program. Mo started showing some flashes in Summer League, but I really think, um, you know, through Los Angeles, through Raptors camp, and then especially in 905 camp, like he stood out. I mean, to me, he's he's looked great. You know, he's a he's a very good, like, presence he's a sponge he's uh he's a great like lob collector floor running you know shot blocking big man who's stretching out his game um people love playing i think guards love playing with him um yeah but people didn't necessarily know he was he's another late bloomer like played you know didn't have a lot of high school basketball experience at staten island juco guy or sorry stony brook uh pittsburgh um you know there's a, another draft prospect with a similar name that sometimes people even get him yes. confused with like you know so you know we we watched him at pit we knew about him but some sometimes people will, will talk to I'll, I'll bring him up and they're like oh i thought the fox had him you know or something like that and i think that you still have to explain who he is and i think after this season, I think more and more people will know who Moke is. So you, you just went into his backstory a little bit and what he was like in college. And it came up when we were talking about Miles, who, who you guys drafted and coming through NAIA. Um, I, I know that that was a part of the job for you at SI. It still seems like that's a, a passion area for you. And maybe that's a necessity in the G League anyway, finding those under the radar guys like a, a Colin from the D3 or, or Miles or um, Moji. Um, is, is that a fair read that you you still get pretty excited about the the really under the radar ones if you can find them? Yeah, I I probably have an unhealthy capacity for <laughs> remembering a million names and, and watching, you know, 
D2 or other footage and synergy, uh, hoping to find people that way. So, um, look, Miles wasn't that far under the radar, but it is mm -hmm. cool to see like an NAIA, you know, star um, kind of breakthrough. I mean, he showed a little bit of it at Ole Miss, but I think there's even more there in terms of like like his production at lower levels of college basketball was pretty wild. And, you know, I think that he still kind of got room to grow that way. Um, look, the G League is like a place where I think you should have an open mind about anything. Like there's been, we, you know, Jalen Morris, another one who's on this team, who's kind of the one of the vets that we brought back. He was somebody who played in Malloy, uh, wasn't well known at all because you know it got it got looks in the nba coming out of you know a small school like and i don't think he got probably the proper amount of attention coming in so yeah the g league is a place to experiment it's a place to keep an open mind about talent um and to me like you know just closing it off to only division one prospects would probably be doing your team a disservice um is jalen fully healthy by the way is he i know he missed pretty much all last year uh, Jalen played in the open scrimmage last okay. night. So he's, you know, I think probably still ramping up, uh, you know, to where if he, if he's, you know, if you, you ask him, is he like at the, the, maybe the full version of himself yet, maybe he still has a little ways to go, but like we're, we're, we've liked what we've seen so far as he, I think he's been making a lot of progress, you know, from day one, when he got here to even uh, like a couple of nights ago. So, um, so justice told me today, he's not all the way back yet. I don't imagine he'll play for you guys this weekend, given he hasn't done a full contact yet do you, do you have a sense of what the timeline is there and can you walk me through a little bit I, i'd imagine the justice coming to the 905 process is significantly different than the other exhibit tens or two ways because you know that's a guy with a lot of nba experience and no g league experience yeah i think he so i'm not going to put a specific timeline on okay. it i mean we just kind of want to be conservative and give him you know every you know just ramp him up back to full play and whatever suits him best. I mean, I think it's like a mutually beneficial situation where we want to get him ready um, to, to play for us and to get back to the NBA and also have him in kind of a new way, use all of the experiences he's had in the NBA to, to mentor some of our younger guys. And, and to his credit, I think you never know what you're going to get. This is my first year as G League GM, but I've been following the Raptors 905 for years and you never know what you're going to get when, you have one like an NBA player who without G league experience coming in, is it just something they view as I'm here for a few, a few weeks and out, I'm not going to really invest in the, the team or, you know, the team's culture. And to his credit, he's like really jumped in and, and been a great presence. Like, for, you know, from the first days here, like he's embracing it. He, you know, I, I think he's been great with the guys so far, you know, he's, he's doing things as he's ramping up, but he's like, been a noticeable presence he has a big personality he's you know I, I think that he's got a lot of because of all of his varied experiences he's got a lot of wisdom to share that's going to be valuable and so yeah again I, I do think it's like a pretty mutually beneficial thing and you know for me you know when we talked about this you have six exhibit tens I think that using one of them at least on something like that uh, on something like that it makes sense. Like, you know, it's veteran leadership, it's versatility, you know, another playmaker had the mix and, and a super high end talent uh, as well, who I've kind of always respected from, you know, when he was at Duke, when I was a journalist to, you know, when I was working in the NBA and I didn't think I'd ever had the chance to bring him into the 905. So, so um, that's great. Thank you for that. Um, so this is your first year as GM, but you've been working as director of prospect strategy and uh, I don't know if you officially had the AGM title under Chad Sanders or if it was just kind of unofficially, um, but what has, I, I imagine the job doesn't change dramatically other than 
you are the GM now. But how much of the job now is strictly 905? How much are you still looking at guys on Synergy to keep up with guys you have overseas rights on? You hear from an agent that some guy might want to come back and uh, he thinks the 905 would be would be a good landing spot. And then obviously still a big part of the draft process. Um, what is that balance like like for you? And do you anticipate it changing now that you are the head boss of the 905? Oh, I think it's, it's, I think it's changed quite a bit because, you know, I mean, Chad is, Chad came from a very different background than me, right? I mean, he's like, has all this experience at one of the best college basketball programs in the country at Kentucky and the Dominican national team. And, and he really let you understand the operational side of basketball in a way that I didn't have any experience in coming in. And so I had a lot to learn from him um, when I was his AGM, just seeing how he ran the team um that i there's a lot of like helpful things to see the way chad you know handled situations and ran the team that way um and stepping into the gm role yeah it's a, it's actually a lot of work in terms of just kind of getting the team off the ground from running the open tryout to getting team in training camp to kind of managing the roster and dealing with agents i mean that's a lot of you know that's different stuff than being a scouting director for the raptors so and then finding the balance like i've still you gotta you gotta kind of balance out your schedule. I've still had time to go and visit colleges, you know, scouting wise in between days when it makes sense and training camp, um, still going to do a heavy load of scouting, scouting, um, while also being around the nine Oh five. So, you know, to me, you know, I'll be able to scout the G league a little more. I think it's becoming a more and more valuable place to scout. It's never, it's just keeps getting more talented every year. Uh, so that would be good, but I'm not going to lose a grip on, you know, draft and prospects. It's going to be kind of hitting it pretty hard and at the heavy schedule of nine Oh five. And, and then at every opportunity in between, you know, seeing college games, seeing G, seeing other G league games and, and staying on top of the prospect class. So you've been on the team side for a couple of years now. And obviously, you know, while you were doing the college ball stuff with SI, I'm sure you would have had an eye on the G League. Um, now that you're inside and I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, are there anything you'd like to see next as the G League continues to grow in terms of a team's ability to develop long term or just, you know, roster flexibility, that kind of thing? Um, is there anything you, you could see that would maybe make the G League a, a more well-rounded or, or holistic developmental home and I guess a little bit more competitive with the European leagues in terms of keeping talent close to the NBA? Yeah, I mean, I think that the raising of the Exhibit 10 uh, money this year to where it was like a 75K bonus on top of the G League salary was a good step in order for us to you know, adding the third two-way, that's another one where you can keep more talented players here. Raising the Exhibit 10 value, I think, is helpful and keeping some guys going away from, like, mid-level European situations and continuing the development process here. Um, I like where the G League's trending, honestly. I'm not trying to duck the question because, I I mean, I actually – look, I mean, you can't – you can't question like the the quality of basketball in the Euro League, but I still think this is the second most talented league in the world. Like this is still the main feeder league into the NBA. There's still, you know, the G League Ignite team is going to produce all these lottery picks. Like it's thriving. Um, if I'm going to change anything, I you know, I wouldn't mind getting some prospects in house in the future. You know, that aren't that are still pre. I know that. You know, there's a there was ability this year. There were a couple of guys in the G League draft who were hadn't declared for the draft technically a year, but in terms of like, is there is there a program in the future where G League teams could essentially be the hosts of you know well keeping it fair around the league, the hosts of some premium prospect for the year or their distribution 
is there a way to distribute them that teams wouldn't get angry about or jealous about? Because look, I mean, to have more hands-on experience with the talent that you're hoping to put in the NBA eventually, like that's what we all want. Uh, all right, Luke, before I let you go here, what uh, this can be team specific. This can be you specific. This can be, I want Javon to be a full end time NBA player. You, you pick your, your choice here, but um, what are your goals for the, for this Raptors 905 season as we get underway here? Sure. I mean, I think we, you have to put development at the front of it. It's, it's, I, I want to be, I want the 905 to be a part of, of not just one, but multiple success stories for our guys. I want them to, you know, I, I want, you know, them to feel like this was a big season of growth, um, whether that's breaking through into the Raptors rotation, whether that's making, whether that's, you know, making meaningful steps forward in their game with the 905. Um, you know, I want this to be, that's always got to be at the forefront because ultimately you have this program to not to like make a team in my image or to, you know, just contend for the G League title. It's to develop and help the Raptors, right. To have guys ready to do that. And so, but we also feel like, Hey, winning is part of development. You got to win here first before you, you know, you're ready to help the Raptors. So we want to contend. I mean, we've been in the playoffs that six of the last seven seasons. Like I do want that to be a goal because I think that we have enough talent here to do that. Um, and, and like I said before, I think that, you know, some of the successful models in the G league of having multiple playmakers and, and versatility, like I think we have a team that should contend that way. And so, um, that's a goal for them as well. So it's, you know, let's, let's get guys ready to contribute for the Raptors. Um, even if they're not playing there right now and, and also contend for a playoffs playoff spot and hopefully contend for a G league championship. All right. Well, it gets going Friday at seven in Long Island. That one's on G League, uh, NBA G League.com. And then you guys are at home Sunday, 2 p.m. at Paramount Fine Food Center. That one's also on NBA TV Canada. Uh, Luke Wynn, general manager of Raptors 905. Thanks so much for taking the time out and uh, good luck this season. Thank you for having me, Blake. That was my interview with Raptors 905 general manager and former Raptors director of prospect strategy, Luke win a lot of really cool stuff in there uh, obviously thoughts on this year's current team but Luke just has such a fascinating career path uh, obviously I say that as someone who you know is in a similar one now I didn't go to school for journalism like Luke did and I certainly wasn't the uh, number one national prospect writer for like 15 years uh, but it's very cool to hear about nonetheless and I guess a good lesson that if Masai calls you you should uh you should take the call and listen to whatever he has uh, to say uh, again a reminder Raptors 905 are in action Starting tomorrow, uh, it's a road game to start the season. So tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, you'll have to go to NBAGleague.com to watch that one. But then they're at home Sunday, 2 in the afternoon in Mississauga. That one's also on NBA TV Canada. Uh, another home game on Tuesday. Both of those against the College Park Skyhawks. So thank you to Luke Wynn for coming on. Thank you also to Ryan Schmidt for coming on. He's a former Raptors 905 assistant, formerly involved with, with Canada basketball's kind of off-season programs for individual players, and he now coaches that College Park Skyhawks team that the 905 will see on Sunday and on Tuesday. Uh, so thank you to those two for coming on, to William Liu and Alex Wong, who uh, are not with me for the last minute of this show here, but uh, a fun one, a really, really good win for the Toronto Raptors last night. We'll surely touch on that a little bit more tomorrow. We'll also go around the NBA and keep an eye on Will Lou's Twitter page because he's going to put a call out for mailbag questions for tomorrow. Uh, thanks also to our board producer, Derek Brandeo, to Jennifer Rolnick, David Sist, and J.R. Manitad for helping us behind the scenes. Again, we're back tomorrow with the mailbag, so keep an eye 
on Will's Twitter page uh, and feel good about yesterday's Raptors win as they pull back to 500 in probably their most complete performance of the season. Great Pascal Siakam game, great two-way OG Ananobi game, great passing and defensive Scotty Barnes game. A lot of really fun stuff. We'll touch on it more tomorrow and set up Celtics on the weekend. I've been Blake Murphy. You've been listening to the Raptors show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360.